Hello, listeners. I struggled a lot with producing this week's episode. I recorded several different versions, and each one just didn't hit the mark. I was overthinking it and trying to make things more complicated than I think that I needed to be. I wanted to do all this research and give some more background information for the different dishes that I made, and it just didn't feel genuine. And there's a lot of people out there who already do that, and they do it really well. I do like researching history and food and culture, and if I hadn't done the research this week, I would have and en- would not have ended up in the rabbit hole of reading an 18th century Welsh landlord's diary. But really what I like to do is to make things and talk about the things that I made. I might sprinkle a bit of history and background in here and there, but the focus is going to be on my experience of making the food and what I learned about. So this week I'm going to talk about green. Yeah, it's a little basic for St. Patrick's Day, but it's also finals week. My kids have a cold and I just really don't have that much creativity in me at the moment. So in this week's episode, I'm going to talk about Goman, loaded coal cannon, egg boats, oregano and broccoli grilled cheese sandwiches, pizza pasta, and blackberry blueberry crumble pie. Yeah, those last two things aren't green, but I made them this week and they were delicious, so I want to talk to you about them. All right, so first up, we have the recipe for Goman from the Daring Gourmet. And Goman is an Ethiopian collard greens dish. And so let's go ahead and talk about the ingredients that are in this recipe. So this calls for three tablespoons of nidrakiba, which is a spiced uh, clarified butter. And we use clarified butter because it has a higher smoking point. Yellow onion garlic cloves, ginger, cumin, coriander, salt, and collard greens. I ended up using kale because I needed kale for the loaded coal cannon later on in the week, and I didn't want to buy two different kinds of greens. So I just used the kale and it turned out just fine. So what you're going to do is you're going to heat your clarified butter, then add the onion and cook for about seven minutes until it's translucent. Then you're going to add your garlic and your ginger and your spices, and then cook for like another three minutes. Then last, you're going to add your greens, whichever kind of greens that you use. You could probably even use, uh, you know, a different kind of winter green like chard. And then another tablespoon or so of the clarified butter and then cook until the greens are bright green and slightly wilted, but still crispy, uh, which it takes about five to seven minutes. These are so, so good. I love Goman. It's such a simple dish, but it's just really delicious. The flavor is bright and it doesn't, the spices complement the bitterness of the greens really well without overpowering them, which I really like. And it goes very nicely with the uh, other dishes that we had that week, which were Dorawat, which is a chicken stew, and uh, Miserwat, which is a lentil stew. So the Simplicity of the Goman, the cooked greens, worked really nicely with the more complex, richer uh, stews that we were serving it along with. All right, so next up we have loaded coal cannon. Coal cannon is a simple dish that's made with four ingredients usually. Potatoes, butter, milk, and cabbage or kale. And it was first referenced in Irish history in a 1735 diary entry of William Bulkley, who was a Welsh diarist. And he described this dish as cabbage, boiled potatoes, and parsnips, all of this mixed together, which according to Bulkley was served traditionally on a Halloween. And so, like I said, this 
researching this dish kind of took me down this rabbit hole of reading this uh, landowner's diary and pretty much learning that uh, Wales just had a lot of rain and people were just miserable in the rain there. So it takes two ancestral Irish ingredients, cabbage and kale, and mixes them with the relatively modern ingredient of the potato. And potatoes weren't introduced to Ireland until around the 17th century. Mashed potatoes with greens. And you can think of this loaded colcanid as mashed potatoes kind of on steroids. And the recipe that I used from the Daring Gourmet called for Yukon gold potatoes, shredded kale, thick cut bacon, shredded cabbage, a leek, heavy cream, butter, milk, Irish white cheddar, and green onions. Now, I made a lot of adaptations to this recipe because uh, recipes for me aren't really something that I need to religiously follow unless I'm baking. Uh, recipes more serve as inspiration and kind of general guidelines for me to follow. So first, this original recipe made eight servings and there was no way I was ever gonna get through eight servings of mashed potatoes. So I halved everything. I used the Yukon Gold potatoes because I was able to get a great deal on a five pound bag of organic Yukon Golds. I did use the thick cut bacon and shredded kale and leek. For the cabbage, I had a red cabbage uh, that was still hanging around in my fridge. So I used that instead of buying a green cabbage. And I wasn't able to find an affordable Irish white cheddar, so I ended up picking up some butter queza from the Bits and Ends cheese basket at Market of Choice. And butter queza can be translated to butter cheese, uh, and it has a semi-soft texture and a mild buttery flavor that's somewhere similar to Munster. And I didn't want to use uh, just a regular cheddar because I don't like cheddar all that much, and I didn't want cheese that would overpower the more delicate flavor of the greens, which is what I really wanted out of this dish. And I did use all the heavy cream and milk and butter that the recipe called for, uh, but I did skip the green onions because I didn't have them and I didn't need them for any other recipe this week. I like Colcannon a lot, even in its most basic form, because potatoes and greens are a really delicious combination. If you add in the smoky bacon and the cheese, that just makes it kind of even better. And the leftovers are really versatile. So even though I have the recipe, we still had a lot left over. And I used mine to make uh, coal cannon cakes, which is something similar to bubble and squeak. And so you take a beaten egg, you add it to the coal cannon, you mix, shape your cakes, dredge them in flour, and then fry them up. And I served these with some fried eggs. And then the other thing that I did with the leftovers was I made a potato soup. And I just added some chicken broth until it reached the consistency that I liked. The only thing about the soup was because I used red cabbage, the soup kind of turned this really unappetizing gray color. All right, so next I'm going to talk about what uh, we call egg boats, or uh, as the recipe is called, baked everything cheddar egg boats with pesto from Half-Baked Harvest. And I actually picked up the Half-Baked Harvest cookbook from our library recently, and it's a beautiful cookbook, but this is actually from the website. And it calls for ciabatta, olive oil, everything bagel spice, eggs, milk or heavy cream, chives, baby spinach, Havarti or Gouda, salt and pepper, red pepper flakes, sharp cheddar cheese, basil pesto and crispy bacon. I made a lot of adaptations to this. So firstly, I made my own ciabatta that day. Uh, I used my bread machine to make the dough and then I baked it in the oven. And I ended up making two loaves uh, that were rather small. And 
I didn't use any fresh chives because I didn't have them and I wasn't going to just pick up chives for just one recipe. And instead of the baby spinach, I used a I used a greens mix that I picked up from the farmer's market and I made sure to uh, chop the greens really finely. And this was a winter greens mix that included kale, arugula, chard, mustard greens, maybe some collard greens in it, maybe some spinach. Uh, so I had a lot of different kinds of greens in it. And I chopped those up very, very finely. And then I used, instead of the Havarti and the sharp cheddar cheese, we ended up using feta and Swiss because that's what I had left over and I wanted to use some of that up and it turned out just fine. I also didn't use uh, the pesto in it because I didn't have any basil pesto on me at the time and I just didn't really feel like it needed it. I made this in two loaves. So what you do is you take your loaf and you kind of dig out your, your bread innards and then you put some oil in it toast that then you add your everything bagel seasoning and then you add your eggs and that are mixed with your cheeses and your greens and you pour those in and then uh, if you're baking it in one loaf you're gonna it's gonna take about 30 to 35 minutes if you're baking it in two loaves it's gonna be, take about 20 minutes total i really liked this recipe because i could see it being extremely versatile so the way that i did it it ended up having a great balance of flavors and nothing overpowered anything else which is kind of part of why i didn't want to use the sharp cheddar cheese or the basil pesto because i felt like those were kind of overpower the taste of the greens and i really wanted to be tasting those greens and i did but they weren't like overly bitter or anything the the swiss cheese and the feta cheese kind of mellowed them out a little bit and i think the everything bagel seasoning was really key here as well blended some nice crunch and some different uh, like the oniony flavor that you find from the seeds and the poppy seeds it was i think added a, a really nice touch to this but i could see this working with a lot of different kinds of vegetables i could see it like doing like a broccoli cheddar version with maybe with some ham maybe doing like a, a spin like on a, like a denver omelet where you use some bell peppers and onion and cheddar or you know just using using some different cheeses some different meats I think that you could just you could use this for a lot of different leftovers that you have around hanging out in your fridge. All right, so next up we have the oregano and broccoli grilled cheese sandwiches. Now, I used the recipe from the Half Baked Harvest cookbook uh, as my inspiration for this. The original recipe is cheesy oregano chicken and broccoli pesto paninis. And so it calls for boneless, skinless chicken breasts that are already cooked and shredded, fresh oregano, broccoli, Greek yogurt, fontina cheese, sharp cheddar cheese, basil pesto, ciabatta rolls, and arugula. <laughs> so I did not use chicken at all in this. I wanted to make a vegetarian meal. And they recommend if you're not gonna use the chicken that maybe you use some chickpeas. I didn't have any chickpeas. I don't know, I just didn't really feel like I needed to use them. I felt like the broccoli and the cheese was going to be enough. And it was. I used Swiss instead of Fontina. And I actually bought an oregano plant and set them next, up next to our, our zombie gnome named Owen. And I, I will add a picture of Owen to our show notes because he's absolutely adorable. I did not name him. The kids named him Owen. He's super cute. And so I used the fresh oregano for this uh, straight from the plant. And then I also, instead of using the arugula, I used some more of those finely chopped uh, winter greens. And I chopped the broccoli really finely. 
I didn't want like large chunks of broccoli in this. I wanted it to be very, very finely chopped. And then I used sundar tomato pesto instead of basil pesto because I wanted to kind of do something different. Um, and I used a jarred pesto from Trader Joe's, but if you have the desire, you could make your own basil pesto, just go for it. And you can make pesto really out of a lot of different things. You could do kale pesto, you could use basil pesto, you could do spinach pesto, you could do carrot top pesto, uh, beet green pesto. Pesto really just is greens, nuts, olive oil, and some cheese and garlic and you blend that together and then uh so i chose the wrong bread for this i used a par-baked ciabatta roll from trader joe's and these were too round and too small so i couldn't do them as pressed sandwiches in uh my cast iron skillet so i ended up having to do them as melts in the toaster oven i think i'm gonna make this recipe again this week though because i picked up some Ashland sourdough from Rise Up Artisan Breadmakers uh, from the farmer's market. And if you don't know about Rise Up, they're an artisan breadmaker out of Jacksonville. They actually started from an intentional community there. And now they have this bakery and they make really great breads. And you can get their bread for half off at the farmer's market if you get their day old breads. So that's what I do there. It's a lot more affordable and you get some really good high quality bread that is made locally. And so these were, I really liked these sandwiches, even if they, you know, didn't turn out the way that I was kind of expecting them to with being a pressed sandwich. Um, I mean, broccoli and cheese go very good together. And uh, I thought they were really nice. We served them with some tomato soup and I, we all kind of really just enjoyed this meal a lot more than I think that I was expecting us to like it. Um, I'm not usually a big broccoli cheese person, so I was really surprised by how much I enjoyed it. I think cutting up that broccoli really fine is what really helps um, with my enjoyment of broccoli and cheese together. All right, so next up we have the one pot piece of pasta bake, and this is from Damn Delicious, but I adapted this recipe so much that I am actually going to share what I did for mine um, in the show notes. I'm going to share my recipe. Uh, but this original recipe calls for olive oil, spicy Italian sausage, mini pepperoni, tomato sauce, oregano, basil, garlic powder, rotini pasta, mozzarella cheese, and parsley. Okay. I didn't have sausage, so I didn't use that. I had regular pepperoni, so I used those instead. I didn't have 15 ounces of tomato sauce. I had some leftover tomato sauce in my fridge, so I used that. And instead I made up the difference with some chicken broth. And I actually started off my recipe by sauteing some onions. And I was actually really surprised that this recipe didn't have any onions in it. And so I started off by sauteing some onions and then I added some garlic. And then I added half of my pepperonis and so I sauteed and like crisped up the pepperoni. And this kind of helps release some of the uh, oils that are in the pepperoni and some of the spices and kind of helps season the sauce because I was out of garlic powder. I didn't have any dried basil and I had not bought my oregano plant by this point and I couldn't find my dried oregano. Uh, so I was glad to have the, uh, the seasoning from the pepperoni to give this a little bit more flavor. 
And I ended up using penne pasta. I didn't have rotini, but I did have some penne leftover. You could use any small pasta for this. It doesn't matter. I think you just need to use a, a small pasta shape. And then I had fresh mozzarella cheese, but you should really be using low moisture mozzarella. I had fresh mozzarella because I didn't explain to Al when he went to the grocery store that he needed to get low moisture mozzarella for pizza because we had made English muffin pizzas the day before and that you should really be using low moisture mozzarella for uh, melting for pizzas. Fresh mozzarella is really great for salads and things like that. Didn't include any chopped fresh parsley at all in this. Um, just didn't have it, didn't see the point in buying any for it. So you cooked out those onions, you add the pepperoni, then you add your tomato sauce and the chicken broth and the pasta, and you cook that on the stove top for about 10 minutes until the pasta's al dente. And the pasta is gonna soak up all that sauce and it gets really delicious because it is gonna soak up that tomato, the flavors from the pepperoni, the onion, and it absorbs all of that. I really like cooking pasta directly in the sauce like this. Plus it's a lot less cleanup than if I were to do the two things separately. And then once your pasta reaches that al dente point, you're going to add your mozzarella to the top and your rest of your pepperoni and put this under the broiler for about four minutes until that cheese is melted and golden. And I know that this probably sounds like a culinary monstrosity, but it's actually very, very good. <laughs> it's very savory and satisfying and gooey and the cheese is kind of oozy. And then you get the crispy pepperoni on top and then the not so crispy pepperoni inside the pasta. And we had none of this leftover. Uh, we ate all of it. So it was definitely a huge hit in our house and we would make it again no time. All right, so last I have a pie recipe to celebrate pie day. And the pie that I used is the blueberry, is the blackberry blueberry crumble pie from Smitten Kitchen. Normally I don't make my own pie crust. I haven't had a great experiences with it in the past. So I usually just buy my pie crust pre-made, you know, the ones from the grocery store in the refrigerated section. But I decided that I really wanted to make this from scratch. So for the crust, you use flour, a little bit of sugar, salt, cold butter, and very cold water. Now in her original, in her recipe, she calls for you to use just uh, unsalted butter done in chunks. But I uh, froze mine and I grated it which I think is a lot easier than doing the um, cubes. And my kids were able to help with this part and they kind of like squishing the butter into the flour mixture. So you can bring all that together once your, your uh, butter and flour resembles kind of like a coarse meal. Then you're gonna start adding your cold water to it. And I use ice water. And the dough came together very nicely. Uh, it looked really good. And then I put it in the refrigerator for about an hour. While that was in the refrigerator, I worked on the filling, which is blueberries, blackberries, sugar, lemon juice, and tapioca flour. I had never used tapioca flour before in a pie filling. And I had always been wondering like why my pie fillings kind of just bleh, splooged everywhere. 
I think it's because I wasn't using any kind of thickener. And so I was really interested to see how this would turn out because I had never used tapioca flour or tapioca starch before in a pie. I, I think it turned out really nicely, but um, the pie stuck together very well. I didn't have any spreading. The only thing was is that I feel like I didn't mix my tapioca enough because I did have some clumping uh, in the filling where I could see that the tapioca starch wasn't as well incorporated as it could have been. So yeah, so when you make your filling, you let your pie dough rest in the refrigerator, then you roll your pie dough out, and then you put it into your pie dish, and then you put that into the freezer for about 15 minutes. And then you put it straight into the oven to par-bake it. Now, I was a little scared to take, the only pie dish I have is Pyrex. And I was a little scared to take my Pyrex dish from the freezer directly into a 400 degree oven. I was a little bit afraid of it shattering. And I probably left the pie out of the freezer too long, which might've been the cause for my slightly soggy bottom that I had. And then you, after you par-bake it, you fill it up. And then you also put the, once you put the berry filling in, then you put the crumble top on that. And the crumble top is half a cup of unsalted butter, sugar, half a zest of a lemon, or a zest of half of a lemon, baking powder, and all-purpose flour, and a couple pinches of salt. And it's actually really similar to a shortbread, like, cookie on top. And this was my favorite part of the pie. <laughs> I loved it so much. It was really, really tasty. And I'm really glad that I tried to make short crust again. I still need to do some work on it. I think I need to get a different kind of pie dish. I'm still really reticent to take a Pyrex dish straight from the freezer into a 400 degree oven. Pyrex does not recommend doing that. Um, it can cause cracking. So like I said, I'm really glad that I tried making a short crust again. Uh, the outside crust turned out really nice. It had a really good flake. It was just that bottom crust that uh, was still a little bit soggy. I do think I would have preferred this as a crumble because the shortbread crumble on top was the best part of it. And, you know, this was my first time making a fruit pie that didn't just slop everywhere. So I was really proud of that. And I think it turned out really well. And everybody who ate it said it was really good. So... I would recommend this pie if you want to make a pie anytime soon. I think it'd probably be better in summer when these berries are in season. Um, but the recipe is good, and I would definitely use tapioca starch again um, as my thickener because you get a nice clear setting uh, set to your fruit there. That wraps up this week's episode of talking about things that are green and a couple of other things that are not. Did you make a pie for uh, pie day? If so, what pie did you make? Are you making anything fun for St. Patrick's Day? I'm going to be making some Irish uh, fish chatter, which I'll be sharing in next week's episode. 